and welcome to Book Chatter, a monthly book club podcast presented by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Barb, your host for this episode, and with me are Devin. Hello. Jana. Hi. And Johannes. Hello. To discuss our latest pick, The Soul of an Octopus, a surprising exploration into the wonder of consciousness by Cy Montgomery. And spoiler alert, today we'll be discussing this book in its entirety, so there will be spoilers in this podcast. If you haven't finished reading The Soul of an Octopus yet, you might want to come back to this episode when you've done so. And we are so excited to be here at Longmont Public Media this morning uh, to record this episode of Book Chatter. Um, You may not be aware, listeners, that uh, for the last five months we've been recording from home Um, and it's been a challenge, and we are just so happy to be here face-to-face, and uh, hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you, Longmont Public Media, for hosting us. Now a little bit about the author and her book. Cy Montgomery is a naturalist, newspaper columnist, documentary scriptwriter, radio commentator, and author of 28 award-winning books of nonfiction for both children and adults. Her memoir, The Good Good Pig, was an international bestseller. The recipient of numerous honors, including Lifetime Achievement Awards from the the Humane Society and the New England Booksellers Association, Montgomery lives in Hancock, New Hampshire, with her husband, writer Howard Mansfield. And Virginia Morrell, the author of Animal Wise, How We Know Animals Think and Feel, says this about the soul of an octopus. Can an octopus have a mind and emotions, let alone a soul? Cy Montgomery faces these questions head-on in her engaging new book as she explores the world of octopuses, making friends with several, and finding heartbreak when they die. They aren't, she discovers, simply brainless invertebrates, but personable, playful, conscious beings. Montgomery's enthusiasm for animals most of us rarely see is infectious, and readers will come away with a new appreciation for what it means to be an octopus. And in their review of the book, New Statesman magazine says, Cy Montgomery's The Soul of an Octopus does for the creature what Helen MacDonald's H's for Hawk did for raptors. Now let's throw some stars at this book. I read a lot of nonfiction. In fact, I prefer that to fiction for my pleasure reading. And I really enjoy good nature writing. So I fell in love with Cy Montgomery's writing style when I read The Good Good Pig way back in 2006. The Soul of an Octopus is part scientific exploration, part memoir. It's thoroughly thought-provoking, and I so enjoyed her gift for making the science accessible all the while weaving in the joy and wonder she feels for her subject. And by the way, this book is aimed at adults, but it has definite crossover appeal for young adult readers. This was a book list editor's choice uh, in their category, Adult Nonfiction for Young Adults, back in 2015 when it was published. So I give it five radiant sea stars. Devin, how about you? Yeah, I am a huge fan of Cy Montgomery's books and her writing style as well. Um, I did read The Good Good Pig, and that is a great book. Um, she reminds me sort of of James Harriet mm-hmm. in her style of writing. Um, she's very conversational and personable, um, and she really brings all of her subjects to life. Um, I also love books that make me stop and look things up or go on a like wild goose chase for more information. I found myself looking up 
the goosefish and the egg veil because they she described that so beautifully. Um, I rewatched the Susan Boyle video. Oh, yeah. Of course, made me cry because that's such a wonderful story. Um, looked up what a baby jellyfish look like, and they're mm. so cute. Uh, she's funny. She's lighthearted. She's easy to read. This book was not very long, about 250 pages. Um, I especially liked it because I never really thought about the octopus um, before reading this. Um, and when I was done, I actually looked up how much work it would be to own one. And it's a lot. <laughs> and I don't recommend it. And it actually goes against my own morals to own wild animals. But it did cause me to have a moment of weakness. Um, mm. So I give this book five stars, which is my first five-star rating. Wow. <laughs> and Jana. Yeah. Um, I really admire her poetic writing style. Um, parts of it were just really gorgeous. Um, other parts were extremely mundane. She writes kind of like a diary entry on a lot of the days with very quotidian details. And for me, that got a little bit boring. So I'm going to give it four stars. Um, the strengths of this book were really, the, for me, the philosophical inquiries vis-a-vis um, -vis animals and humans, many questions, um, many wonderings and a lot of mystery that that came out um so yeah i i love the journey down into the undersea world i could have done with a bit less of the mundane details very good and johannes well this is the first book of montgomery that i've read but i was really impressed the writing itself is really good my favorite line is people float by them like plankton trailing comments like tentacles i think that was just great <laughs> I think it's a difficult task to take an animal that seems utterly alien and humanizing it enough so that the reader grows attached to them as yes. they would characters of their same species. But the author does a great job in that respect. Um, I'm a big fan of humor in almost any writing, and Montgomery certainly evoked plenty of laughter for me. Yes. What was missing for me was a discussion or even just a mention of two of the glaring issues facing octopuses in this book the ethics of keeping wild animals in captivity for human education and enjoyment, and the plight of the oceans, which are suffering massive disruption and die-off at the hands of mankind. So all that considered, uh, this book earns four and a half stars for me. Great. Thank you. And uh, discussion questions coming up, and I want to s just give a little shout-out to readingbug.com, uh, who came up with these wonderful discussion questions. First one is, what are the similarities between octopuses and humans that Montgomery sees. Jana, can you start us off? Yeah, something that I noticed right away in her chapter about Athena, which is, I think, one of the first octopuses yes. that she writes mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. um, and her relationship with, was the idea of sharing gender mm -hmm. with that octopus. Mm -hmm. And she was hypothesizing that Athena, through touching her, so they taste with their uh, suckers, right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, could taste that she was female, could recognize um, the estrogen um, through tasting her skin, which I think is really interesting. And so she said, you know, she felt like she was being recognized um, by a very different being from herself, but that they shared this commonality of being mm. female, which I thought was super interesting. Um, and, you know, I could talk about some other things that she shared with octopuses, but that she also shares with other animals as well. Um, you know, she writes that... Um, just about every animal, not just mammals and birds, can learn to recognize individuals and respond to empathy. And that was the case with her relationships with the octopuses is that they would come and mm -hmm. kind of greet her. Every and then one of them, yeah. Some of mm -hmm. them, you know, said goodbye. One of them said goodbye before uh, her death. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's very human-like. And then to get into the science of it, um, 
She writes that hormones and neurotransmitters, the chemicals associated with human desire, fear, sadness, love, and joy are highly conserved across taxa. Whatever animal you might be, whether monkey, bird, turtle, octopus, or clam, the psychological changes that accompany our deepest felt emotions appear to be the same. So that's a huge commonality and one that I think historically has been undervalued or even denied. Johannes? I think she points out many similarities. Um, One of the ones that I related with is that they recognize and remember people to the Mm -hmm. point at which they will squirt jets of water at people they don't like, even after not seeing them for weeks. And I can relate to, you know, wanting to squirt a jet of water at somebody I don't (laughs) highly of too. So I get that. (laughs) Um, She also says, boring your octopus is not only cruel, it's a hazard because an octopus with nothing to do will find something to do. And that usually means escaping from its enclosure or taking something inside apart, usually <laughs> violently. There's, a, there's yeah. a saying about the dangers of idle hands. And of course, octopuses have four times the number of hands. <laughs> yeah. So, and so I think we can relate to feeling, you know, that intense boredom, you know, bordering on agony. Especially yeah. for this last year, being stuck at home. Oh, gosh. Exactly. You know how many things I, like, tore apart. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just start looking around like, okay, what can, can I, I do, do? What project can I develop? <laughs> yes. So I, I absolutely can, yeah. can relate with that. Oh, yeah. We got a wonderful music on that point from Amanda, one of our listeners. And thanks, Amanda, for sending in your comments. She says, I wonder if octopuses are bored and or seeking more advanced interactions in their natural habitat. Since they don't live in groups for the most part and love interacting with humans, would they prefer more advanced interactions in nature? Based on the stories that Montgomery is telling in the book, I would say, you know, her experience uh, as a researcher and other researchers' experience would, would document that, that yes, I think maybe octopuses would welcome more encounters with us. Uh, in their natural habitat. And I think perhaps most poignantly, Montgomery goes into great detail about the tenderness and infinite care that the mothers have with their young. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, we don't have hundreds of children like they do to take Thank care goodness. of. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but I think any parent can empathize with that dedication and the tremendous yes. self-sacrifice that the creatures demonstrate. I mean, to the point where the mothers, they stop eating and they do nothing besides tend to their eggs mm-hmm. until the next generation is born and then the mothers die. And the father okay. dies too, right? But yeah. yeah. Did, am I misremembering? Shortly oh, after mating, they're gone. I thought they both yeah. die. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. after yeah. mating. Yeah, that's that right. whole after chapter yeah, was a little... Oh, so the father dies after mating, the mother yes. dies after uh, having the eggs. She lives long enough to, to yeah. tend okay. to the eggs. It's like they have their jobs and after the job's done, out of here. You're out of here. Yeah. Oh my. I thought what was most interesting was the fact that the the females, um, you know, enter like sort of a dementia state at the end of their lives and wander around. And, you know, anyone with, you know, older parents um, or sometimes younger parents or themselves or sisters or brothers, you know, that Mm -hmm. have Alzheimer's can definitely relate to that. And Mm -hmm. that was really sad. And the way that the the different octopuses had different personalities and they changed color according to their emotions. And Mm -hmm. some were cooler than others and didn't freak out as much. I mean, we all know people who you know, are a little bit more uptight and freak out a little bit easier than other people. And some people are more laid back. Um, I mean, yeah, they, they had just a wide array of emotions and that's very human-like. So, mm. Yeah. yeah. Which, Sorry. yeah, leads kind of nicely into the next question. What does Montgomery reveal about what constitutes consciousness in humans and animals? Does she show 
that octopuses have consciousness? Jana, you got some thoughts about this. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that she examines is uh, theory of mind, um, which is present only among the most intelligent animals mm. and was at one point thought to be only possessed by humans. Mm. Um, theory of mind is, if you don't know, um, what allows animals to consider the motivations of other animals. Um, and the example she gives is an octopus that may construct a fortress for itself when it views a dangerous predator in its environs. So uh, she had an octopus that was grabbing and dragging rocks to construct this wall um, to protect itself. So it had to think about uh, what was going on in the mind of that predator, um, the theory of mind. And she ties in um, something that happened in Cambridge in 2012, um, which was a declaration uh, by scientists. It was called the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness, and it states that humans are not unique in possessing the neurological substrates that generate consciousness. Non-human animals, including birds and mammals, and many other creatures, including octopuses, also possess these neurological substrates. Um, so that's huge because I think for a long time, animals were not deemed to have consciousnesses Absolutely. in mm-hmm. the way that, that we as humans were. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't know, to me, there's different declarations throughout history, yes. you know, women's rights at Seneca Falls and others. Um, and maybe this is the one for animals mm. to say, you know, we recognize that you have consciousness like we do. It's mm-hmm. pretty big. Um, it is big. And, you know, furthermore, she says that um, research is also suggesting that free will exists among species. And to me, those two are tied together because I don't think you can have free will without having consciousness, right? Because you have to examine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then instinct kind of also plays actions. a part in that as well. Right. I mean, what's, yeah. what's the... What's the oh, the, the, the kind of the tension between mm-hmm. am I acting out of... Mm-hmm. Or is this instinct? Thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's a really good question. What do you guys think? Mm. <laughs> I think it's both. Free will versus uh, it's both. Just yeah. instinct. Absolutely. I think it's a subject for a whole other podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we could be talking here for an hour. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point that, that there has to be some recognition that yes, animals have instinct and, and if predator presents itself, Absolutely. they're going to protect themselves. But yeah, how much of that, uh, you know, the, the incident that you were talking about, Jana, um, I think it does show that the the octopus is planning ahead. Mm-hmm. Like this predator is in my area, it could attack me. Therefore, I'm going to pull a wall together. And um, you know, maybe instinct is yeah, defend myself, protect my life, mm-hmm. run away, whatever. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but you yeah. can learn a different ways to do it. Absolutely, this is showing like planning. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is showing. Mm-hmm. I've I've thought about you know, there's some stuff in the area I could pull here and yeah. protect myself with, but. Yeah. Like those little fish that dive deep into like the sand and they build those little holes and they spit out the, the uh, rocks to clear out their mm-hmm. holes. I think that's instinct. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's really like thinking ahead. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's difficult because free will implies a choice. Right. Yes. Right? It says, okay, I have choice A and B. Yeah. I'm going to decide I want to do right. B instead. Do I hide behind this rock right. or do I make myself a little fortress? It's like, mm-hmm. I used to hide behind the rock and that didn't work out so well. So let me find a different way to protect myself right. mm-hmm. and cover my den with rocks. That's consciousness to yeah. me. Yeah. That's and free will. Mm-hmm. Hiding behind a rock is instinct. Yeah, mm. It's tough because so many animals, you know, from, you know, from maybe not sponges, but, you right. know, that level yes. up, 
they um, they have their a lot of their their wiring yeah. is instinct, yes. right? They're born it's knowing the how to make a nest, how to you know do all these things, mm-hmm. and so you, then that does you know force the question: Well, is that free will? Or is that, you know, are they saying, well, I think I could build a nest, but no, I'm deciding just to, you know, throw the dice. Right. You know, there's a lot of instinct built in. And a lot mm-hmm. of that's taught from generation to generation and mm-hmm. um, geographic location to geographic location. I know that like orcas and dolphins, well, they'll have different dialects where they live. Oh, gosh. Um, and chimpanzees <laughs> will teach, mm-hmm. you know, the younger ones stick this stick down in the termite, you know, mound. You know, that's mm-hmm. not instinct, I don't think. Yeah. So it's know. tough to tease apart what's instinct yes. and what's consciousness and, and, and what shows us that's consciousness because yeah. we can't be in the mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the most fascinating thing for me is actually the impact of the, the fact that we consider it cruel to deprive ox, uh, octopuses of stimulation, mm. right? And in so doing, we're identifying with that state of mind. We're okay. experiencing yeah. empathy with a vastly different creature than ourselves. Our consciousness is being expanded by contemplating their consciousness. That's a great Mm -hmm. point. Yes. Montgomery says, feelings of awe are known to expand the human experience of time availability. Mm -hmm. And octopuses, to me, give me a feeling of awe just reading about them, let alone being in their presence. So I know my consciousness is being expanded. Now, is the reverse true? Surely all the creative stimulation that they receive from their human caretakers who spend a significant amount of time engaging with them and designing toys for mm-hmm. them to challenge them, it must have an effect on their minds too because they, the octopuses, they're grappling as well with what must be for them an alien intelligence. Yeah. Do you guys ever see, do you guys ever watch The Octopus Teacher that was on Netflix that no. was real popular? I want to watch summer? that. It's good. It'll make yeah. you cry. It's the movie, yeah. right? My, we should octopus, put that in teacher. the notes. It's uh, My Octopus uh, Teacher. Oh. It's like a... People yeah. rave about and that. Half maybe it documentary. Was amazing. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. I saw it twice. Oh, saw it. I almost <laughs> never watched things twice. <laughs> I, I watched it, was good. it twice. It was really good. Really good. Yeah. Speaking of, I totally stalked those people on social media. Too. <laughs> 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 what are they doing? <laughs> Look at the sun. Like a crazy person. <laughs> Jeez. I know. So, like, I really, I also pulled out that quote about ex- uh, the feelings of awe expanding mm-hmm. human experience of time availability. Mm. Um, I really loved how when she was stroking Athena, mm-hmm. she wrote about how she slipped into octopus time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And we entered into Athena's experience of time, liquid, slippery, and ancient, flowing at a very different pace than any clock. That this is really important for us as humans, I think, to to like extract ourselves from our from our busy, civilized schedule and our clock. Oh, yeah. And and so connecting with animals is like a way that we can do that. And that's why I do feel like um, even though it may not be the best thing, you know, there's a lot of people that can criticize keeping wild animals in captivity. Ah. It allows humans to experience them. Uh, whereas today, many humans don't don't get enough time in nature, mm-hmm. um, let alone with animals. And so to have that connection is, is important. Another thing that she wrote about was um, the uh, fact that you can also get into, so you're getting into an altered state of consciousness perhaps by your connection with this animal, like skin to skin. Mm-hmm. Um, another way that, that humans uh, do this is by using mind-altering substances. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know is that, um, you know, she says that, that animals also use mind-altering yeah. substances, <laughs> such as dolphins, elephants, out. and monkeys. Recreationally, they and absolutely And so, yeah. you know, she talks about dolphins, like, passing um, some kind of fermented fruit or something back and forth in the water. <laughs> 
It was like um, a, a like a puffer fish or some yeah. kind of fish that well, yeah, slightly slightly yeah. aged. <laughs> yeah, I just think that I thought that was a really interesting part of the book about mm-hmm. um, we may have consciousness, animals may have consciousness, but we also need time to alter our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Whether we go into a state of flow mm-hmm. through music, Meditation. exercise, dance, Meditation. art, yes, or drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Animals may may also have the same at least some animals may have that desire also to mm-hmm. enter a different state of consciousness yeah super yeah. interesting mm-hmm. yeah yeah um well so to me um being conscious means being aware of yourself and how your actions affect other people i don't know what everybody mm-hmm. else's definition is but that's mine um you know, so throughout this book montgomery provides numerous examples of this um you know sh- the octopus is like you said johanna spraying certain people in the face um you know, after weeks of not seeing them, I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty funny. Um, that is astounding. Yes. The <laughs> example of the one species of octopus, you know, using the coconut shells to hide in, running across the seafloor, and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's that's thinking ahead. Yes. That's, I, I'm exposed, let me make myself mm-hmm. a little makeshelf shelter, and I've seen that video, and, and that's pretty cute. Mm. Um, you know, the, scaring the scar- starfish away, here he comes creeping to, you know, get her fish that she dropped, and mm. talking mm-hmm. about, um, not Octavia. Yes, Octavia. Yeah, the, I mean, she shooed him off, and he freaked out and reacted, too. Um, so that's conscious. Um, you know, the way that she said goodbye at the end of her life, she throw, you know, floated up at the top of the barrel, and mm-hmm. she said goodbye. She didn't eat the food, so it wasn't food. It was, she, she was saying contact. goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, that was Kali, right? Hmm. Kali? No, Kali that was, was the one that died, that crawled out of the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, across okay. the so that was Octavia. Octavia was the goodbye. one that, yeah, she was <laughs> the longest one. She was the one with the eggs, and then they okay. had karma. Mm-hmm. And Karma was in that stupid bucket, and they're like, "We got to switch these guys because this yeah. is not yeah. fair to anybody." Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I feel like you know any person could relate to all you know every single one of these behaviors. Um, you know, that's the human emotion behind them, and you can understand the why behind. You know, you don't like certain people; you want to spray them in the face. <laughs> you know, you want to escape the bucket. You yes. know, or whatever, even if it risks your life. Now, does Montgomery address and answer the question, uh, which is uh, in the title, really? of whether or not an octopus can have a soul. Johannes, you had some thoughts about this? Well, I think she gives lots of definitions about what the soul might be, like she has a whole big long list, yeah. uh, including the poetic abstraction that it is the fingerprint of God. But then she's a little coy in that she muses, perhaps all definitions are true, and perhaps all the definitions are false. Mm-hmm. Um, however, she makes no bones about it when she does say that if she has a soul, and she believes she does, then an octopus must have one too. Although I wish here she would have laid out a little more about what makes her think this is true, I also, on reflection, think that purposefully or not, she has actually answered this question throughout the book by leaving indirect clues. Hmm. Um, It seems to me that the things that she finds in these creatures, empathy, tenderness, intelligence, curiosity, convinces her that she sees them in herself. And so it's only natural, I think, that she extends the characteristic of having a soul to them as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, she brings up a lot of questions uh, for which, you know, she ends up feeling in awe of those questions mm-hmm. about how she relates to animals and and why, you know, why they they share these things. And for me, it felt like she was saying, like, this is, for me, the fact that I have this communion with these octopuses leads me to feel a state of mystery mm. and yeah. that whether I'm in a place of worship, she writes, um, uh, the importance of contemplating mystery, whether it's in a church um, or diving a coral reef is really what she comes back to. 
mm-hmm. um, in 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 making her argument for a soul. So I think it it ties into well, there's a lot that we don't know, but mm-hmm. but there is this state of awe, there's the state of mystery, and I think that that's what she is saying is the soul. Um, she also mm-hmm. writes about universal consciousness. Expanding the mind beyond the self allows us to relieve our loneliness to connect to what Jung called universal consciousness, the original inherited state shared with all minds. It unites us with what Plato called the animus, or soul, mundi, world soul, the all-extensive world soul shared by all life. If I have a soul, then an octopus does too. Yeah, I agree. This was, this is a hard one for me. Um, I don't really know what a soul is, or if I believe in souls. I mean, if you're conscious, mm-hmm. you have a soul, I guess. I don't know. Um, you know, Montgomery certainly believes that um, octopuses have souls, and it's a very understandable sentiment, given how much she loves animals. Mm-hmm. Soul mm-hmm. question is a little too philosophical for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure, I guess they have souls, but... It'd be nice if she gave you a definition, so you yeah. could either agree or disagree. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I agree, mm-hmm. yes. I'm a, my official answer is yes. Ah. But to me, I equate souls with being con- having a conscious. I mean, soul is, is kind of a spiritual term, religious term. It doesn't really enter into science, and yet that's the title of her book. And so I think that there is a big part of her book that relates to that part of human experience and then, you know, animal experience as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's interesting because if a scientist had written a book, would she have named it Soul of an Octopus? Maybe not, you know? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I equate soul with consciousness. I mean, it's just... That's mm-hmm. uh, interchangeable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We might be talking about the same thing here. Yeah. yeah. Well, given what science knows about anthropomorphism, is this a problem to be dealt with? Jana, what do you think? Uh, so there's a big debate in the scientific community. Um, a while ago, um, scientists that tended to anthropomorphize uh, were looked down upon, and I think they... They even felt like they couldn't uh, write about their findings if they were, because they would be accused of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think today, people are, scientists are getting away from that a little bit more and realizing that there is, um, there may be some anthropomorphization. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Love that word. <laughs> that may like help us come to greater and deeper understandings of animal behavior. Mm. Um, I think, so, yeah, I think it can be a problem, but it can also be a benefit. One of the drawbacks is that um, you can misinterpret things. Uh, You can misinterpret animals, I think, when you uh, try to put the human lens on them. So this book was super interesting to me because I think Cy Montgomery, like I said, she's a journalist. She's not a trained scientist. Mm -hmm. She has written these many books and spent so much time around the world with different animals um, mm-hmm. because of her connection to them. Yeah. And so I think that's at the core of anthropomorphis- <laughs> anthropomorphism <laughs> is just that you you want to relate to animals. As humans, we relate with our, with our human qualities. That's why we name animals. That's mm-hmm. why, you know, she described the octopuses as, as having different personalities. Per, the word personality yes. is in itself an anthropomorphic Absolutely. term. Oh, yes. And so, um, so there's a... There's definitely like a push and pull with, uh, with this problem. Um, so the problem being that <laughs> if you kind of cut yourself off from, from looking at data, uh, you know, outside of, 
of your human uh, lens, you're going to miss a lot of stuff about animals. If you always try to interpret their behavior based on your own Mm -hmm. uh, thinking or Mm -hmm. emotions as a human. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it goes both ways. One thing that I thought was um, interesting was a quote about what octopuses can say with their skin. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't say a lot with our skin. Um, Maybe we can become like red-faced we can become pale. Mm-hmm. She writes that we have, so we have our poetry and dance and music and literature, but even with our costumes and music and paintings and clay and technology, can we ever come close to expressing what an octopus can say with its skin alone? Um, yeah. So my question was, like, since they can change texture, color, and pattern, um, mm-hmm. and we were to say, oh, this octopus looks pale, well, that means she's feeling faint today, or she's red face, so she's embarrassed or she's excited, mm-hmm. um, would that be an incorrect interpretation as a human? Probably. Probably. Or would it, yeah. you know, or in some cases, would it be okay to do that? That was my question. Mm-hmm. Um, because as a human, we're like, oh, she's red, so she's excited. Well, maybe that's true, but maybe it's not true, especially when she has a whole palette, a whole color palette, mm-hmm. and furthermore, a texture, yes. yeah, and mm-hmm. pattern palette mm-hmm. to play with, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, that was an example of how do, how do you like the benefits and the drawbacks of anthropomorphizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that the danger, you know, as an author who's speaking to other humans about the mind of a very much a non-human, yes. you know, you do run that risk of saying, well, am I assuming too much, right? Am I leading the reader somewhere I want to lead them and not what the octopus is actually feeling? Mm-hmm. There's a part in the book where she is, coming up to a tank with an octopus in it and she stubs her toe and she reaches in and she has some tongs to feed the oh, yeah. octopus squid and the and the octopus goes all gets all over her tongs and gets all over her mm-hmm. and she says, you know, I'm just gonna drag you into the tank too. And so she just starts <laughs> yes. pulling her in and two of two people had to, you know, tear this her. octopus yes. off. And then later she's saying, you know, I stubbed my toe. That changes my chemistry in yeah. my in my body. So then the octopus you know, it could be that the octopus has a has um, has a sense for that changing chemistry. It would be useful if for it in the wild. Mm. If then it could say, "Oh, this prey is injured, therefore dinner." Let's eat. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so you, know? you think that's what but was then, going on? Well, but the but the contrast oh, is you pause, so in in, yeah. in that explanation, she was giving a she was giving more of a uh, more of a um, you know it was a leap because she was saying, well. It might be useful in the wild, so she could have this, so mm-hmm. she might be reacting to me. You know, a lot of mites and should and perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then another, another example with the same octopus, she said, you know, I, I was with this octopus for like an hour and a half, and we were just, you know, just touching each other. playful, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and she said, clearly, we both wanted each other's company. Yeah. Well, did we? I mean, was <laughs> I mean, she didn't. She's she didn't. Reading yeah, she didn't make mind. any comments about yeah. like. Well, that morning I was really in a good mood, so maybe my chemistry was different. So maybe the octopus was just like, "Oh, this tastes good. I think I'll hang out." <laughs> you know, but but yeah. she made as an yeah. author, she made that call yeah. to say, "No, actually, it's because this octopus was having an emotion for mm-hmm. me." Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, and she was feeling that obviously, mm-hmm. but we don't know anything really yeah. about what the octopus. I was, was feeling that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that it's remarkable because we we do like we just said all the similarities that we that we have you know the, yeah. the, just the emotional reactions all that kind of stuff 
But cephalopods, they're not primates. They're yes. not mammals. They don't even dis- display the same symmetry, the body symmetry that we do. Mm-hmm. They live in a world of water. They're somebody else's prey. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Montgomery quotes Aristotle in observing that octopus sex is done with the male sticking a finger up the female's nose. Don't you love <laughs> that picture? Love that. So it's like, yes, very different. <laughs> yes. Very different. Way different. Sounds um, like high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't know what kind of high school you went to. <laughs> and they have... Um, Part of their mind is like in their arms, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. So is that yes. part of their, yeah, part yeah. of their brain extends. Yeah, so I thought that arms. was super interesting. That part where, like, if they cut the arm off, it'll go it on swimming and like hunting going. for food for quite a while. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So There's a the mind like in it's there. So different. You right. can have a shy yeah. arm and an aggressive <laughs> arm. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, they also cool. say, right, if you get a shovel and you, you know, you cut a snake's head off, <laughs> don't go and touch it, right? Because it can still wreck. So it's like there's still. There's still stuff going mm-hmm. on there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think an important distinction is that their world is a lot wider than ours in a certain way, right? Because we were talking about the ability to really taste through the skin and yeah. be able to taste the chemistry of, of mm-hmm. what's going on inside. That's, you know, that's mm-hmm. insane. But yeah. we don't have that power, yeah. right? We can't grab another person's hand and go like, oh, you just took some medication. You're that's a smoker. Yeah, yeah oh, right. Yeah. You're a smoker or something. Mm-hmm. We rely on other senses. Yeah. And yes. so their whole world is, is bigger in that sense. Yes. But for us, our world is also bigger than theirs in another sense, right? Our social structures are way more elaborate than theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, they are social creatures and they can totally interact with you know, other octopuses and, and other humans in that social way. But our, the way that we are brought up, our social world is a lot bigger. Yep. And that just gives our brain uh, so much more, I shouldn't say so much more, but it gives our brain a lot of empathy and a lot of ability to understand what other people are doing, the relationships, the networks of people, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we'll take a short break and then be back for more discussion of Cy Montgomery's The Soul of an Octopus. Book Chatter Podcast is supported by the Friends of the Longmont Public Library. Hello, podcast listeners. If crafting and creating is your jam, you are going to love Creative Bug. Creative Bug gives you unlimited access to over 1,000 ad-free, concisely edited classes in high-quality HD video, free with your Longmont Library card. There are new classes from top artists released every day with projects for all ages, so you will always find something new to learn. CreativeBug.com is optimized for mobile and tablet, so it's easy to use and enjoy from all of your favorite devices. To find out how to access all the great stuff in Creative Bug with your library card, visit the streaming TV, movies, and videos page on our website. Now, back to Book Chatter. How does Montgomery describe the different personalities the octopuses have? Do you agree with her assessment of their attributes, and can you relate to the emotions she interprets them to have? Yeah, she does a great job of describing them, you know, lovingly and intimately. Um, and this is what I love the most about her writing. Like I said before, um, she reminds me of James Harriet and the mm-hmm. way he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really feel her enthusiasm radiating from the pages. It's infectious. And um, I think she does a great job of bringing each octopus alive and giving it its own place in the story. Even the wild octopuses were given their own personalities. Yes. Um, I, I, I agree with her assessment of their attributes. Um I think um, she does a great job of promoting the idea of animals having emotion. Um, as you know, like Jana said, this way of thinking is relatively new. Jane Goodall, who I'm sure we all know, is mm. revered in animal science. She was even too intimidated to publish her findings because she was afraid of being ridiculed. 
And what that was what like it just floors me. The seven, was that the seventies? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if she gave it a time. She was single baby, yeah. yeah. Back yeah. in the seventies, eighties. Um, and now, you know, what she says is taken as gospel pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's always an effort, um, this is a quote from the book, there's always an effort to minimize emotion and intelligence in other species. The prejudice is particularly strong against fish and invertebrates, which is a quote from the New England Aquarium's director of PR. I'm glad to see this is changing. If an octopus is this smart, what other animals are out there that could be this smart? So um, mm. she, she does a great job with the octopus. They don't, they seem like, you know, people, yeah. you know, with their own emotions and their own, their own agendas almost. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really agree. I think she excels at, at exploring the personalities of yeah. each octopus, even the wild ones, like you said. Um, even when, even when she can only observe them for minutes, she's just like, oh, this one's like this, this one's like that. Mm. You know, Athena is curious, Octavia is motherly, Calvi is bored, you know, et cetera. <laughs> she's like a naughty teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, you know, without having been there to witness the events and the animals themselves, it's difficult to know whether the author is, you know, really being true to life or taking liberties. But I can say that I was I was moved by her descriptions, mm-hmm. um, so I, I agree at least most of the time because they they make sen- they make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the emotion the emotions were certainly instantly relatable. I, like I suffered for Kali because of the barrenness of her of her drum, and I was mm-hmm. bored for her. Mm-hmm. You know, so I definitely could feel those. Um, but you know, I'm imagining human emotions as described to me by a fellow human. So that kind of taints my view as well. So oh, yeah. I just wanted to say this. Um, the New England Aquarium has their own YouTube channel, and I've watched numerous of oh, their videos. You yeah. can see people sticking their hands in the barrels, and they talk about I the different a couple. Yeah, yes, they it's do really a interesting. Job. I need to go there to that aquarium. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's only like $30. It's only New England. It's only, well, oh, jeez. Field trip. Field trip. Yeah, field trip. Yep, yep. This is time. research. <laughs> yes, and uh, on the topic of eating smart animals. Many com- many <laughs> cultures consume <laughs> octopus as food. Do you see any issues here? Devin? Yeah, yes. Thought yes. Oh, big issues. I was, yeah. yeah. I was I was a vegetarian for a long, long time um, because of this mm. very reason. It's like, this. I don't feel comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still ate eggs and cheese and dairy, so I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. And then I, and then I became a pescatarian because uh-huh. I was like, I really want sushi. <laughs> so I'm a yeah. giant hypocrite. I freely admit it. Um, and then now I'm just a full-on carnivore at this point. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, there are issues. You I feel guilty. I yes. feel like a hypocrite. Um, you can obviously mm-hmm. get sick from eating food. You can, you know, killing mm-hmm. animals and selling them in wet markets. You can, you know, there's yeah, lots of health issues. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for me, the issue is just the morality of it. That yeah. I'm, I'm a hypocrite at eating these things. But gosh, bacon is tasty. <laughs> <laughs> that is a problem. Yeah. It's always the last thing to go, Devin. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, I think that there is a tension um, for us human oops, as natural carnivores and as part of the food chain to move away from our ancestral role near the top. I think a lot of, I was thinking more deeply about this, and I do feel like a lot of our problems surrounding um, the issues with animal eating animals go back to our agrarian roots when we started farming um, and stopped hunting. And I think that when you start farming animals, it introduces a lot more problems like the coronavirus, um, mm-hmm. animals and diseases. Uh, the close proximity of humans living with their animals brings out a lot of diseases. Whereas hunting, I felt like we are more within the natural cycle and food chain. So I think there's a couple different discussions, but because we are agrarian, uh, we live in societies now 
we have extracted ourselves from the natural uh, environment and, and food chain in which we once were a part, mm-hmm. I think that it is uh, necessary for us to reexamine our role and our practices um, because we do now know that our current carnivorous practices affect the planet for the worse. Yes. And so we do need to look toward more sustainable food choices. It is unfortunate that this has become a politicized issue, mm-hmm. and you yes. can see why. I mean, it's a very deeply personal issue. People don't like being told what to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, food, including animals, is uh, rooted in deep cultural traditions around the world oh, yeah. that are very strong and in religion. And I, you know, there, there are different religions that um, require, you know, vegetarianism. Some require or say it's okay to use and eat animals mm-hmm. um, uh, and others say there are some animals that can be eaten, some that can't. And mm-hmm. so I think it's a, a deeply complex issue that goes back um, in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Johannes, moving on, is like the idea of mm-hmm. eating intelligent creatures. There I think that's go. huge. Yeah. You know, octopus, that's right. one thing. Then you look mm-hmm. at pigs. Pigs are also really oh, smart. Oh, very yeah. smart. You so are cows. Grief, yes. I yeah. mean, there's even, yeah, cows are smart. Baby and they cows. even, well, there's even sh- studies showing that chickens can be smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's well, why dog yeah. dogs are dog, dog is yeah. still eating. Horses are eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, horses. Horses are, are kind of stupid, but yeah, <laughs> I mean they can be really stupid. Horses will eat themselves to death. <laughs> oh yes. my gosh! Absolutely, I had no idea. Yeah, uh, my what dog probably would. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean that's that's like a common thing. They're like like that dogs will eat too fast. And then they'll get bloated or like oh, get yes. some kind of crazy thing. You gotta take them to the vet. Mm-hmm. Just like my dumb and they ass eat dog. Poop also, which is <laughs> well, that yeah. too. I guess they're just like, well, yeah. you're not done with that, obviously. Yeah. So. Like primates eat barf. Yeah, I've seen oh. a gorilla in the zoo okay. scoop up its barf and eat it. And they're pretty smart. Yeah. What zoo is this? Oklahoma City. So I've been to Bolivian <laughs> zoos and I didn't. Well, even you've got to conserve your resources. <laughs> just like poor thing's probably it's, bored. It's primates eat barf. My cat like, does well, it too. Yeah. It's making still warm. Point. I don't even have to <laughs> warm it up. Smart. Yeah, exactly. There's still food in there. <laughs> yeah, right. See, so that, I think, is instinct. Uh, to yeah. what? Eat it? To, to, eat, to eat your throw up or, or eat your poop because you're trying to hide that your presence from their predators and things like that. Yeah, but that should pre- be like, oh. but see, the thing is, like, the other pull is that, right, like, that bacteria in your gut belong in your gut and nowhere else. Uh-huh. That's how you can make your even yourself so sick. Yes. From your own products. Sure. Sure. And so, <laughs> so I mean, you, so you'd think there'd be an, also another pressure saying like, no, don't eat your own poop yes. or you're going to die. On top of the more common issue of eating creatures in general, I think there's an added issue when you contemplate in c- consuming an intelligent creature. When you imagine them having emotions, it's only natural to wonder whether or not they suffered getting to your plate. Mm. You can feel pain. Did they? You would miss those you'd leave behind if you died. Are others now missing the individual that's on your plate? Mm. You have a personality, did they? And so on. To say nothing of the moral hand-wringing or contemplating them having a soul. For some, these ponderings won't matter much. For others, it would make the act seem unconscionable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did look that up. Um, and uh, my family is Catholic, and the Catholic Church has uh, you know, a statement that animals do have souls, and yet mm. they say it is quote-unquote, legitimate to eat them and use them for food, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Seems mm-hmm. kind of self-contradictory. Right. Yeah. What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so, but yeah, it's just, it's a super complex ethical issue that I, I feel has factored too little um, into our discussions about um, animal consumption and treatment in general. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, because the more we study these animals, the more uh, we see how intelligent they are and how they share these emotional connections that we do, like elephants mourning their dead, mm-hmm. just something that Montgomery writes about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder mm-hmm. if she's a... She vegetarian. is a vegetarian. I looked it up. Okay, oh, yeah. good. <laughs> ah. I mean, there's no shock there, right? Well, she yeah. loves these animals to I think death. I, yeah. It's obvious. I think it I could never eat an octopus, impossible. though. Mm-hmm. I can eat just about anything, but I, I don't have, know if I can. Really I really good. like it octopus. Really so I mean, it's it's a, it's a texture thing, you know. If you like um, rubbery, Jewish. I accidentally <laughs> ate um, foie gras oh on accident. Oh really? Oh. Or at the cheese importers, I w- it, yeah. there was a different label, and oh. I was like, "What's this little spread?" I was like, "This is delicious," and then I realized it was Be- eating foie gras. And before you, mm. before I wouldn't read have it? eaten that before. Yeah, no, before no. I read it, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was some kind of pork. No, no, but like before you read it, was it good? Yes. Oh, so good. That's it. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is a very personal thing, and it's it really tied up in personal. culture. Yes. It's tied up in religion. Yes. All yes. these things we're talking about. The book, A Traitor to a Species, about the um, founder of the ASPCA. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that book. That was that's a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the early 1800s, early 1900s, they would bring sea turtles and there was like sea turtle was a delicacy in new york yes. city and they would have sea like turtle soup, soup. and they oh. treated these things terribly they would yeah. stab them with these things and they'd hang them oh. by their flippers in the front imagine. windows they're just like mm-hmm. they're like well animals don't have you know conscious they don't have souls who cares and mm-hmm. this guy came about and said no oh. so what about the morality of capturing wild animals and keeping them in zoos or as pets uh, one of our listeners commented on this point, and thanks, Tina, for your comments. She says, I think this book is a wonderful introduction to a species that is vastly unfamiliar. Aquariums are zoos, and they buy animals that are captured for the purposes of exhibit and study. The author's enchantment with the octopuses at the New England Aquarium was contagious, but does the education justify the capture? That's for each reader to decide, she says. Yeah, Tina has a great point. Um, for me, this is a big moral dilemma, um, personally as well. Taking animals from the wild, keeping wild animals as pets, eating animals, I feel like a hypocrite on all of these issues. Um, I love going to zoos and aquariums. Um, so this is something that I struggle with. I think that some zoos and aquariums do great conservation work, and they're getting better and better. You mm-hmm. know, 20 years, 30 years ago, they were all, pretty much all terrible. Um, but it's still sad. I wouldn't want to be in a cage. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be behind glass and... and you know, fed by, well, no, I think I'd probably actually like that. <laughs> Feed me. They just drop food in my lap. That Where's the tongs? I'm ready for my squid. Yeah, Come on. So, but, um, but it's, you know, they're also fascinating at the same time, and I understand yes. why they have those. Um, she does mention um, when she's discussing the capture of Octavia, um, she clarifies that the giant Pacific octopus is, um, the population is thought to be healthy. So is that justification enough when there's plenty in the wild? Are you able to just pluck them? I mean, that's still sucky for the individual. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you know. could. There was some section in there where they were talking to one of the, the, the persons whose job it is to catch these animals, and he could rationalize it very well that, yeah. that this, is, this is education. How can, is. A, how can you advocate for an animal when the vast majority of the public has never seen it, can't mm-hmm. even imagine yeah. mm-hmm. what its life is like, what its environment is like, what dangers it faces because of humans. And, and so, yeah. No, I don't disagree. Point. But it's still sad. But it's, it's, yeah, you have to wrestle with it. Otherness is a central issue of the book. How does Montgomery use the otherness of the octopus to show the ways that humans in the story feel that they don't fit or belong? Yeah, I got, I got <coughs> caught up in Anna's story probably most out of, out mm. of all of the other people. Um, so she was on the spectrum, um, and she had, I believe, some other health issues. Um, yes. She was you 
know, having seizures and things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she had a friend that committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, she had lots of fish and tanks at home. It sounded like she came from a pretty good family, but she was a very vulnerable, vulnerable right. young girl. Um, and I think her being able to have access to the um, aquarium and the people there and the adults there, I think, oh, really was crucial. Yeah. was crucial to her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it helped her self-esteem and she really blossomed under their attention. Um, mm-hmm. and who knows what could have out you know what could have not happened to her but you know she she just it benefited her very much and i really feel strongly about all people you know on the spectrum or not like what jana was saying having access to nature and animals and there are kids you know that live in large cities that have never you know rolled around in the grass right our brains need that mm-hmm. to to be to be fully human fully yeah. human yeah. yeah and i think it goes back to the author's childhood, she stated that, you know, as an only child who grew up on a military base with a high-ranking official for a father, she wasn't allowed to play with other children because the other families feared their children interacting with, I can't remember if he was like colonel's daughter. Yeah. Or, and so she was alone. And so she uh, couldn't, she said that her dog, eventually her parents got her dog and the dog allowed her to become human, I think, to, yeah, to, yeah, fully humanize. And, um, and so I think in the case of like the relationship with animals, what is so key is that if you do feel like an other, whether you know whether you get a dog or whether you go to an aquarium, you can find acceptance and you can find your full humanity there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because in the case of Anna, you know she felt like an other, but she felt accepted um, when she saw the diversity available at the aquarium, different ways of being in the animal world are so mm-hmm. many, mm-hmm. um, so multifaceted, so wondrous, you know, she writes about hermaphrodite animals and how judgmental are we as humans to say, Oh no, that's wrong. Like you can't be this, you can't be that aware as in the animal kingdom, there's just all these different manifestations of what it means to be. And I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's something astute that Montgomery does, and maybe not even on purpose, but is to intertwine the lives of some of the aquarium volunteers with her own exploration of these decidedly other creatures. Yeah. You know, some of the volunteers, like you said, Devin, you know, they have challenges leaving them feeling like they're on the outside of their of the world of their own species. Mm-hmm. You know, being on the autism spectrum, dealing with the effects of suicide. Um, a- attempting to become the legal guardian <laughs> of one of their siblings oh, yeah. with a yes. developmental disorder. Man with a dying wife. Yes. Exactly. Yes, all those things. And so while they wrestle with the outside world that undoubtedly rankles at their otherness, they find commonality with these octopuses they care for and with each other, mm-hmm. you know, the humans. And for example, one of the remarks that it takes a special kind of person to understand a friendship between a human and an octopus. And it's through the multitude of bonds to other outsiders that they discover that they form an inside all of their own. You know, they form their own group. Well, thank you, Johannes, Jana, and Devin for a great discussion of The Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Book Chatter, the book club for busy people. <laughs>